I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to help you get your first customers. I've mentioned that most of these podcasts start with a big question people in Tacklebox are struggling with or have struggled with in the past. This is one of the biggest. How do you get the first group of people to trust you enough to take a risk on you when there's no social proof, no testimonials, no customers who have clearly used your product to make a meaningful leap? Whether it's getting someone to pre-order something or piecing together a pilot for a two-sided marketplace where one side is local yoga instructors and the other is local businesses, or just an entrepreneur who made a thing they were sure people would buy, but no one is, the key is risk and trust. Lots of people come when they reach that last scenario because there's urgency. They'll say, Brian, I built this great thing that'll really help people, but no one is buying it and they have to, or I'm going to have to go back to my job at Deloitte. They'll say that maybe my SEO is messed up or my ads aren't working or maybe my price is slightly too high or too low or maybe I need to offer a one-week free trial or sometimes they just get a real worried look and whisper, TikTok? Most of the time, those strategy tweaks are just rearranging the chairs on your startup Titanic. Whenever something isn't selling, one of two things is usually wrong. First, people just don't care enough about the problem you're solving to go out of their way to solve it. That's a deep one. That is another episode. Or second, the trust to risk ratio is out of whack. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Risk is a blind spot for entrepreneurs because risk is a blind spot for humans. We have no freaking clue what's risky and what isn't. When I used to go to UNC, I'd drive home to New York to see my family for holidays instead of flying because I didn't like flying because that route is really bumpy and it always felt dangerous. So instead, I'd drive 13 hours straight through traffic and snow and ice after getting three hours of sleep the previous week while I was studying for exams. I'd be late and say things like, there were accidents the whole way without realizing that none of those accidents involved planes. Irrational feelings around risk have been passed down like family heirlooms from the days of saber-toothed tigers, and we just haven't sorted it all out yet. Since we don't understand what's risky to us, we certainly aren't going to understand what's risky to our customers. So when they aren't converting, we tend to look in the mirror. We try to make our ads clearer or the channels more direct or the price lower. They just need to see what we see and they'll convert, we think. We should look at our customer, see what's blocking them, see why this is still too risky for them to take a chance on. Here's a story that might clear this up a bit. When I started Find Your Lobster, a mobile dating app that came out a year or so before Tinder but worked in a very similar way, I knew I was up against some serious blockers. I was building a dating app for people in their 20s at a time when literally no one in their 20s used a dating app, ever. I was building a thing that I wasn't even sure I would use. It just kind of felt like a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity if it did work, a massive market sitting there untouched. I pitched dozens of VCs, folks with incredible track records who all gave me the same feedback. Quote, no one good-looking in their 20s will ever go on a dating app, which means your dating app won't be for desirable people, which means no one is ever going to use it. So if you've pitched a ton of VCs and no one gets your thing, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. And the feedback I was getting from customer interviews contradicted those opinions. 
I'd speak with people who'd say things like, I'm so sick of trying to meet people in bars. And at this point, I can basically only date someone from work. And the most common, I just wish my friends would introduce me to some of their single friends. So I kept plugging. I eventually told people I was making a dating app for normal people in their 20s that would use their Facebook login so that they could see and meet all of their friends' single friends. If that existed, would they download it? I asked. In group settings, people would say things like, I could see other people using that. In solo settings, people were much clearer. Yes, I would definitely use that. I wasn't fluent in customer interview yet, and I didn't realize that it's way easier for a customer to lie to you and say that they would do something than to tell you what you don't want to hear. So I took that feedback as, go build something, and I did. We released a super early version that allowed you to find and message your friends' single friends. I sent the app to around 300 people who'd said they would use it. I still remember what the email said. Date your friends' single friends for free from the comfort of your couch. I'm not sure I've ever been more excited. I sat on our analytics dashboard and waited for the flood of downloads. But 24 hours in, no one had signed up. Five days later, we were still at zero. I messaged a few friends who were on the email but hadn't joined and I asked them why. I heard back things like, I haven't gotten around to it or I'll do it later or I have company over or whatever. And then one friend told me the truth. Honestly, he said, it's just too much of a risk. Let's say I message someone. I'm going to look desperate. And I'll share mutual friends with this person. So what if it gets around that I'm on this app? What if they know my ex? It's all just so risky. Too many things could go wrong. Sure, the bars stink, but worst case is I strike out and then go get pizza. My whole friend group isn't going to be alerted. Yikes. I couldn't really see how this was such a big risk, but risk is not rational. I responded that maybe for $5 I could have some sort of incognito mode. Would that be interesting? He responded fast. Sure. Charge me 20 for it. I don't care. The money isn't the issue. I'm happy to pay to find the person I'm going to spend my life with. I just don't want people to know I'm doing it. I know that's silly, but that's just how it is. Nobody wants to date someone who is desperately trying to find someone to date. Our trust to risk ratio was out of whack. I misunderstood what was risky. I thought the risk was not meeting someone. And I'd solve that by giving our customers unlimited options. I thought another risk was paying money, but that clearly wasn't it either. The risk was looking desperate to people they knew. The risk was public rejection. I hadn't built anywhere near enough trust to ask customers to take that size risk yet. If the product was going to work, we'd have to shoulder all that risk until we built some of that trust. The product was going to need to remove it. So we went back to the drawing board with one mission. What would it look like for there to be no public rejection? What we came up with is what we ran as a concierge MVP, an email test. Every Sunday, our customers will get an email with nine public Facebook profiles in it. These would be people you had mutual friends with. You'd pick up to three that you'd be interested in chatting with and reply to our algorithm at findyourlobster.com email, which was obviously just me. Then the people you liked would see your profile the next day with a mix of eight other people, like a police lineup. If both people chose each other, we'd send an email CCing the two so you could start chatting. Both sides had chosen each other. There was no rejection. Everyone was interested. And since we were removing the risk, it cost 10 bucks a month. We sent that email out to the same group of a few hundred. About 60% responded, saying they were in and asking where to send the 10 bucks. Early on, you'll have zero trust, so you'll need to shoulder all of that risk. Identifying that risk is usually harder than solving for it. It's usually an emotional risk, a hidden one. 
which is why the opportunity you're going after exists in the first place. No one has understood the customer well enough to get the momentum needed to solve the problem. They haven't alleviated the risk. They most likely haven't identified it. That is your chance. Now, let's talk about a company that absolutely nailed this and a framework you can use to nail it too. After, a little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. Magic. One of my favorite companies out right now is called Suna, S-O-O-N-A. I don't know the founders. I don't know anything about how it started. I do know that they have absolutely nailed the trust to risk ratio. I first found out about Suna maybe four months ago from a Tacklebox member. Then, like clockwork, a new founder told me about them every week or two. At first glance, their business seemed straightforward. They are basically an agency. If you've got a physical product, they'll take professional pictures for you. You can then use these photos for your website, for your Instagram ads, for TikTok, to sell on Amazon, whatever. There are lots of freelancers and agencies that do this. So why did I constantly hear about Suna? Because they recognized and shouldered the risk. If you want to get product photos early on as an entrepreneur, you're a bit stuck. The less expensive way is to hire a freelancer for a day or two, but then you got to figure out location or rent studio space. We've done this at Tacklebox before. You go back and forth with the freelancer on space options and prices on this weird Airbnb for location sort of product. It looks like a bunch of photos from a law and order murder scene. And the risk is pretty high. If you don't like the photos, you've blown a thousand bucks. If you go to an agency, they'll give you great photos, but won't work with you for under a few thousand dollars at the least, which entrepreneurs don't tend to have. So most entrepreneurs cobble it together. They take their own photos or they have a friend who's got a nice camera and is a hobby photographer and the thing ends up fine. As someone who knows entrepreneurs pretty well, fine is a real bummer for product photos. A quick story of one of our founders will illustrate this. This founder had an idea for a foldable yoga mat. She was a consultant, but was obsessed with yoga and taught in her spare time. She hated lugging around the rolled up mat on subways and trains. She wanted a foldable one that would go into her work bag. She ran customer interviews and nailed her customer persona and their use case. There was a need for this. She tested out a bunch of different shops that could produce her foldable yoga mat. She paid a lot of money to get five prototypes. Now these photos were going to drive the campaigns. She needed them to look good enough to sell to a discerning customer on Instagram. These pre-sales would fund the next product run. They were critical. She also needed them to look good to validate that what she was doing wasn't silly. Her friends and family didn't take her business seriously. She knew there was potential and her big goal was a brand, but they called it a hobby. So the photos were going to be a proof point, a tangible thing that could show that all of this work was going somewhere. It's not necessarily rational, but I dare you to start a business and ignore the imposter syndrome, not notice friends scoffing at what you're doing, feel like they're making fun of you behind your back. Sometimes high quality photos or a podcast interview or a shout out in a magazine can make all the mental difference. So she looked for options for photos for a prototype that she would be proud of. And she ended up at Suna. On the landing page, they say they can quote, create the best photos on the internet. 
They say they do it virtually and you can ship them your product for free. The call to action is build a photo shoot and it takes you through a flow that starts by asking about your specific product. Is it beauty and skincare, health and wellness, food and bev, clothing and sneakers, pet, jewelry? They ask exactly what your content is for. Website, marketing, Amazon, Etsy, Instagram ads, YouTube reels, TikTok. Finally, they have specific packages. The Amazon content package, which includes photos and a hand model. Shopify, which includes photos, a GIF, a video clip, and a hand model, and on and on and on. The packages follow the exact format you'll need for Shopify or Amazon pages. For social ads, they take the types of photos you'll need for various campaigns. Nearly all physical products include a hand model, something you'd never think of if you were hiring a freelancer, but something that makes photos and GIFs and videos 100 times more engaging. Or you can just build your own photo shoot and pay only for the assets that you love. You ship them your product for free, then you pay $39 for the photos you like, $93 for the videos you like, and $0 if you don't like any of them. Trust and risk. Your goal as a business is to quickly build as much trust as you possibly can while removing the risk that acts as a blocker for your customer. The way to build trust with a stranger is specificity, proving you knew something about where they are now and where they'd like to be. If you describe each of these in detail, then sell them the status leap, you're going to be in good shape. Next, you remove the core risk holding them back through a feature of your product. Suna absolutely crushes this. There are two risks for entrepreneurs with this service. First, that they don't like the photos and now they've blown their budget. And second, that they get the assets but don't know what to do with them. Suna's product removes both risks. First, they pitch. Ship it to us for free. Only pay for the stuff you like if there's anything that you like at all. And second, we'll create assets specifically for the moment you're in. Filling out a Shopify page, creating an Etsy profile, selling on Amazon, You'll just need to plug and play the assets that we give you. We've had nearly all of our physical product startups use Suna. And the interesting thing is none have actually chosen that a la carte option that builds all the trust in the first place. They've all chosen packages for Amazon or Shopify or Etsy or Instagram ads or YouTube or TikTok. I reached out to one of our founders to ask why. They responded, I was going to do the a la carte photos, but by the time I dug in on what they do and how they do it, it was clear the packages were the better choice. I thought with freelancers or with agencies, I wouldn't be important enough for them to nail it. Suna was clearly confident they would. They knew what I needed. They made me important enough. So I bought the most expensive package. Remove the risk to build trust. Where is the risk? The first step to understanding where your customer feels risk is understanding what you're actually doing for your customer. Having a studio and taking pictures isn't the hard part of Suna's business. It's finding that customer in the first place and understanding what they're hiring their pictures to do, realizing why it's so hard for them to do it now. Choosing the customer is the hard part. If you're trying to get a bunch of customers to attend a new conference you're creating, what is their real risk? Is it paying the money? Big time tip, money is very rarely the blocker. People pay to solve problems they need solved. Is it that they don't wanna be the only ones at this conference because that would make them look silly? Is it that the conference won't generate what you say it will, and they'll have to explain that to their boss at the end of the quarter at an all-hands meeting? Whatever it is, how can you remove it entirely? What would your conference look like if you did? Know the customer's emotional risk. What is really on the line for them? Then take it. Figure out how you can own that risk. Charge to own it. That's fine. 
but make sure you take it. The path is clear, but hard. First, pick your customer. You can't know specific risks for lots of types of customers, and you can't solve lots of risks with your product. It's way too hard. Pick one to make things easier on yourself. Second, identify the emotional blocker with the customer that's causing the risk. What will they have to do before and after they use this product? Where do they want to be after the product? What's the worst possible scenario? Third, offload the risk and make that your value prop. Test it in landing pages and cold emails and digital ads. See if it lands. Find your lobster exploded once we send out an email that said, quote, a dating app where you never get rejected. Fourth, once you build trust, you can take more risk off your shoulders. The higher level packages at Suna don't offer freebies and you pay to ship your product to them. They've proved the risk won't happen. Now there's way more trust to evolve their product. And finally, a cheat code. Urgency is a multiplier to the formula. That's why looking for problems with urgency are best. The other day, the water in our house shut off, or I thought it did. Some frantic Googling with a screaming baby in the background had me check all my faucets and toilets to see if they were running. None were. I trekked down to the basement, half expecting it to be filled with water, looking for my water pump. On that pump was a sticker. It said, quote, something wrong? Call me. I installed this pump. I can fix it, too. I have never called a number so fast. A few thousand dollars later, our water works great. Would I have liked to check reviews first or get a second opinion? Sure. Was my main risk that I was going to get screwed and pay a couple of thousand dollars and the water was going to break a couple of months later? Of course. But trust gets multiplied when there's urgency. Solve a problem with urgency to get a bit of leeway early on. If you're having trouble converting customers and the thing you're making would actually help them solve a real problem, the issue is almost certainly the trust to risk ratio. Find their biggest risk and shoulder it. Build trust so that you can build momentum. Shift the risk off your shoulders as you grow, as you have more social proof, as customers can look left and right and see people you helped and have that de-risk the opportunity rather than you. And enjoy it. I don't say this enough, but all this stuff should be fun. It's all a big scavenger hunt that ends with you helping people and doing stuff that you love. Win, win. This was the idea to start a podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you got an idea, let's help you flesh it out and start building it right. Head to gettacklebox.com to apply to join the program. And if you made it this far, toss us a rating and a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever. It actually really helps. Have a great week.